0: Happy versus Flourishing, episode 21. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas on small ways you can make improvements to your quality of life. Today's episode is with Dr. Emily Spleeker, and we're going to investigate about walking and bare feet and running and the benefits you can get from, from movement and regular activity, and also what it is that causes problems. You know, sometimes you hear about, about a lot of runners that get many problems, and what? Why is that? And what is it that causes it? And we get, you know, we go into quite detail about shoes and the problems that certain training shoes can wear and you know dress shoes when you're out in the evening and so on so that's all coming up very soon hope you do like this podcast why not subscribe so you can get it on a regular basis leave a review for us let, let us know let us know and let other people know what you think about the podcast right now it is time for this week's episode happy versus flourishing my guest today is dr emily splyker how are you emily i'm doing great thank you and where do we find you today where are you
1: i am in arizona in the united states
0: and, and you're a bit of a specialist in sort of biomechanics and, and things to do with um, the body.
1: Uh, yes. So being a podiatrist and a human movement specialist, I do have a huge passion for the body, um, particularly as it relates to movement. So mm-hmm. all of my patience and career has shaped itself around helping people optimize their own movement and what I call movement longevity.
0: What what was it? How did you get into that?
1: Uh, Well, my background is in sports. I was a competitive gymnast for 13 years. And then from undergrad, I got into fitness. So just a personal trainer, teaching classes. And that helped me reconnect to what I guess gymnastics did for me that I didn't realize. But it was this movement my entire life or my entire from age six to 20 became mm-hmm. such a huge part of my life. Fit, fitness reignited that in me. And then when I was in fitness and I was looking at graduate school and medical schools, I knew that I wanted to have that be the underlying tone of mm-hmm. anything that I do. It really speaks to my soul, which um, is something that I'm really passionate about is doing doing what you're truly called to do. And for me, that relates to movement.
0: And how did you, once you decided, right, this is what I'm going to go into, how did you then decide, you know, how did that lead to where you are now? Oh, it's a very convoluted
1: (laughs) path. (laughs) But, um, you know, having the background in gymnastics and then fitness was very important. Um, As I went through podiatry school, where I happened to choose podiatry because I was living in New York City. And I wanted to go to graduate school, medical school in New York City. That was very important for me. Um, Mm. That phase in my life, New York City was, I don't know, healing me in a crazy way for people who have ever been to New York City. Um, Mm. You know, certain cities just feed people's soul. New York was doing that for me. And especially New York at that time. Um, So I knew that I had wanted to stay there. So that's where podiatry school happened to be one of those options. When I was going through podiatry school, I was still training clients and teaching classes because the other part that was speaking to my soul was fitness and movement. So I had kind of these parallel things going on. Now, the further I got into podiatry school, I started to realize more and more how isolated and segregated this profession is It doesn't look at the whole body. It doesn't get a lot of patients out of the chair. You know, they're not thinking about hip core stability or, I mean, even now I shape my practice around the emotional state and the stress state of my patients. Hmm. So I just, the the whole being is what was really important to me. Um, So the further I got along in podiatry school, graduated, was doing residency, and it became very much all feet, no movement that I took a break from residency, which was definitely one of those scary moments to potentially leave a training that you invested so much time and money into, but it just, I I knew I had to do that at that time. So I left residency and went back to school to get my master's in human movement And the time that I did this was around 2009, which is when the barefoot running boom happened and all these minimal shoes were hitting the market. So it just was, I don't know, the stars were aligning or something that everything was happening at that same time. So I was getting my master's in human movement, this boom in barefoot running. I spent my master's studying barefoot science, barefoot movements so that I could really understand this, this trend or this niche that was, that was happening, get my Mm -hmm. master's long story short. I obviously have to go back to residency so I can get my podiatry license, but I had this whole new perspective. Once I graduated my residency and became licensed, the glue that connected my fitness passion for movement background with my medical degree was my master's and that master's focused on barefoot science barefoot movement and that laid the foundation of the rest of my career because that that was then the most pivotal event was me leaving residency and then coming back to get that skill set in between and then that's really everything that I speak about today
0: and for people people listening who maybe they've heard the word barefoot but they're not really sure what it is how would you explain it
1: so barefoot barefoot movement uh, barefoot running. I try to not make it synonymous with barefoot running. So let's just say barefoot movement, or actually, I've kind of hashtagged it or uh, identified it with barefoot strong. So to me, barefoot mm-hmm. strong means barefoot movement, barefoot lifestyle, barefoot running. All of that does not mean literally you are barefoot your entire day, twenty four seven. You don't believe in shoes. That's not mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It means that you are looking at the foot from a sensory perspective, from a functional perspective, a natural and integrated perspective, and that someone who, let's say, is barefoot strong or has a barefoot strong lifestyle incorporates sensory stimulation into their feet every day. They go barefoot every day, say even 30 minutes around their home. And then Mm. they put focused energy into strengthening the feet, releasing the feet, wearing footwear that optimizes natural foot function, and then appreciates the role of the foot with the rest of the body, specifically as it relates to our core and our pelvis, and what I call foot to core
0: sequencing. Mm. And I mean, it seems to me that the majority of people are completely oblivious to how much damage the shoes that they're wearing are causing them.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the minimal minimal shoe boom and that, that category or the barefoot running boom definitely brought to light to the consumer or to the patient, the layperson, about the importance of feet and footwear. Mm-hmm. And it, I think, allowed people this moment to question what they've been told for years from the footwear industry that if I have flat feet, I need supportive shoes. If I have a high arch, I need to have cushioned shoes because Mm -hmm. of these polar associations with foot types and Mm -hmm. the necessary role of footwear. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: this, this opportunity to see things different actually has made my job easier because Mm -hmm people are already primarily or initially exposed to that idea or to that opportunity. They just now need someone to guide them a little less biased on what is appropriate for their body and for their foot Mm. type. And then the movement that they are going to do.
0: Mm. And there's, I mean, a a lot of people spend fortunes and yeah, they decide they're going to run a marathon or they're going to, you know, whatever it is that they've decided they're going to do it. And they spend, fortune on these top brand running shoes and and often they seem from, from what, what I, un, I understand anyway they do more damage than good in some cases
1: they can and one of the most important ways that shoes create damage let's say is that they create a sensory disconnect between the body the nervous system and the ground And this is now, this is kind of getting into the barefoot science things Mm -hmm. and my master's and the foundation of my work is if we think of the fact that we need sensory stimulation for every movement that we do, and that Mm -hmm. sensory stimulation is impact forces, we need to feel the ground, we need to feel the pressure, Um, impact forces are actually vibration. So if we feel that vibration coming from the ground, that actually shapes and guides our movement pattern. Now, Mm. cushion in shoes, cushion is one of the features that is probably the most damaging. Let's say, and I'm going to loosely use the word damaging, but Mm. the most damaging would be cushion because the cushion in the shoe takes away the vibration, but the vibration we want to remember is the sensory stimulus that tells our nervous system how hard we're striking the ground, uh, force rates, our body weight, the hardness of the surface that we're on. It provides a lot of necessary information. When you take that away, you actually create a foot that I call is reactive or delayed. And everything about movement has to do with timing. So if we think of, you know, we're, we're running, we're doing any sort of sport, our ability to optimize performance and reduce injury risk is based around the timing and the coordination around our nervous system to control that movement. If you don't get sufficient sensory stimulation, the timing of your stabilization and coordination shifts and it becomes a little bit slower. You get compensation and you get injury.
2: Mm.
0: And doesn't it also, by wearing shoes so heavily cushioned, it changes the way that the foot hits the ground which can have a big impact it well it impacted more than one way
1: yes so again i would say the layperson way that you could kind of explain this would be that imagine that you you know are running and your foot is landing on like a pillow so just mm. imagine how unstable that would be that's mm-hmm. kind of how how a consumer could start to visualize this what's actually happening When you are in an environment like that, what I look at is it goes back to timing. Literally everything I look at has to do with timing. Mm -hmm. When you're on that unstable environment, you don't have the ability to quickly get into the stabilization pathways to get off of the ground quickly. So a lot of people who wear cushioned shoes and let's say in runners who run in a certain pattern because they have cushioned shoes, they're actually on the ground longer than someone who is running in a more minimal, quote unquote, barefoot shoe or someone who's actually running barefoot. It has Hmm. to do with your timing that you're on the ground and we get injured when we are on the ground.
2: Hmm.
0: And isn't there also a situation where some often it, it can be when you first start to learn about something, that can be the most dangerous phrase when you only know a little bit. And from, again, what I understand, when people start finding out about this and they realize, oh, well, I shouldn't be wearing shoes that are, that are so cushioned. I need to wear more barefoot type shoes. But then if you go straight to barefoot from being wearing heavily cushioned shoes, that can be, cause quite a few problems.
1: Yeah, that's actually where a lot of Vibram, so the five-finger shoes that came out, you know, 2008, 9, 10, around that, that was the boom. They got a lot of bad press. And for any of the listeners that can recall, um, New York Times had done a bunch of articles just destroying this company that, you know, wearing the five fingers causes bone marrow edema and things that really were not linking it to the shoe, per se, it was exactly what you're saying is that there was not this understanding of a transition period and really it's called a tissue stress threshold. And when you stress the body, stress ultimately makes your body stronger, but that's Mm -hmm. controlled stress and that's stress that you stress the body and then you back off and you give the body or the tissue, this adaptation or this repair period, and then you Mm -hmm. stress it. And you do that in a very cyclical, intelligent, progressive way, and then that's where people can run a marathon truly barefoot with no shoes because they've done it in that progressive way. Majority Hmm. of people, because I do agree, there was not the education or the consumer awareness that there is this transition period. A lot of people were getting hurt, and that's ultimately what led to the Vibram lawsuit was because of... Uh, false claims to consumers and unfortunate disconnect in that that progressive period.
0: So, if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, "Yeah, maybe it does make sense to not wear so heavily cushioned shoes," and they want to make that transition, how would someone go about that?
1: Uh, so, one, you do want to do it slowly. Um, I think that if people understand that there's different levels of cushion. So there would be a, you have a traditional cushioned shoe. Let's call that like a standard New Balance shoe is what people may associate with a traditional cushioned shoe. You Mm -hmm. then have maximally cushioned shoes, which is actually going in the other direction. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we won't, we won't discuss that too much, but for those listeners that have heard of a Hoka, a Hoka Mm -hmm. is a maximally cushioned shoe, which is even more so than a traditional and then your next step would be what I call transitional. This would be something like an ultra or on running. If you're familiar with those brands, um, mm-hmm. even Nike, Nike free, a lot of those are transitional. Mm-hmm. And then the true zero cushioned or minimal cushioned shoe would be like a Vivo barefoot, a zero shoes, uh, five mm-hmm. finger were, were zero cushioned. So you want to do it, uh, slowly and drop down the cushion slowly. But as you're decreasing the cushion, you want to make sure that you are one, strengthening your foot at the same time. Just wearing minimal shoes is not the way that you strengthen your foot. Does it strengthen Mm -hmm. your foot? Yes, but it's not the way that you strengthen your foot to transition into minimal shoes. So that would be uh, short foot, barefoot exercises, standing on one leg. I have a bunch of exercises for those. And then the other thing that you have to make sure that you're doing is recovering your feet. And that Mm -hmm. is releasing your feet on a golf ball, a lacrosse ball. Uh, You're doing some sort of recovery to the small muscles in the feet. And then you are doing that every day while decreasing the cushion. And then the stress that you are putting your foot under has to be slowly increased. Um, I'll give you an example of how I transitioned to wear the five finger shoes, a indoor, almost like a ballet shoe walking 20,000 steps in New York city on concrete. Hmm. I would do that by wearing a transitional shoe, walk my, my regular 20,000 and then start to get into the five finger. And I would wear them on Monday knew it was a high stress, right? Towards the end of the day, I would start to fill my feet. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. wear those shoes again until Thursday. So Mm -hmm. Monday, I would wear the barefoot shoes, walk 20,000 steps in them, stress my foot. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, Wednesday, I was back into a more cushioned environment. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
1: Thursday, I would walk again in the five-finger shoe. And I would Mm -hmm. repeat that. And then I would do it again on Monday, Mm. And then the following Thursday, right? So you can kind of see that there's this space in between that gives your body the break. And then mm. in that break, you're also releasing the bottom of the feet. Maybe you're doing some short foot exercises. But that's the way that you want to start to think mm. about it. And then, of course, I create actually individualized programs on how to do that.
0: Mm. And the programs you're you're creating, are they aimed at the public or just at people that are coaching the public on this?
1: Nope. So they're actually both. So I do train other professionals. I have an education company that I started in 2012 around this time of connecting fitness, my master's and my medical degree. I launched my education company, which is called EBFA Global. And I've traveled all around the world to teach other physical therapists, doctors, coaches, trainers about feet, barefoot science but for my podiatry practice, which is really primarily virtual, even before COVID, I was primarily virtual because I treat people all over the world. That would be the consumer, the athlete, the patient program that I call you know an eight to 12 week functional foot program that mm-hmm. is, let's say someone wants to get out of supportive shoes to run a... 10K, Mm -hmm. because a marathon might be a little bit too overshooting it, but a a 10K in uh, barefoot or in very minimal shoes, I would essentially guide them through that. Mm -hmm. Or if they're coming off a certain injury,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: which is where I see a lot of the same concept applies to when I have a patient who has a fracture from overuse, you know, running or doing another sport, and they have several stress fractures in the foot, let's say. And Mm -hmm. now I have to get them back to the foot strength and the neuromuscular strength so that they don't get re-injured. That can take a good eight weeks from when they heal to get them back to a state that they're not going to re-injure themselves. I do programming for that as well.
0: And in in that eight-week period, would they be best just sort of not doing, say, like 10,000 steps a day and just sort of resting as much as possible? Or would they still be able to do some movement during the day?
1: No. So you definitely want to do the movement. And this is where it could be potentially counterintuitive to some individuals is, but if I rest, then the tissue heals itself. But then a lot of people will go from that resting state to whatever their original movement level was, right? Mm -hmm. So I, if I normally run, let's say two miles a day, and I apologize, I don't know how to convert that to kilometers, but Mm -hmm. say two miles a day is my distance. Mm -hmm. And I get the clearance from my doctor that my stress fracture healed. I'm going to go back to running and I go right back to that two miles. Mm -hmm. That abrupt increase in stress is really going to set that individual up for that exact same injury. So Hmm. but we also don't want to just sit there. And I Hmm. never want my patients to, um, I would never tell someone to accept this injury and just don't ever move again, Hmm. (laughs) which sounds crazy. But I do get patients who are told that, that they come to me and say, Oh, my orthopedic surgeon told me never to do stairs again. Hmm. And I'm like, how do you not do stairs? Like stairs are, part of everything. And this is when I lived in New York city with the subways. And I'm like, you have to do stairs. You have a subway that you have to get into and out of. Um, I just try to never say that to patients. And I try to get them to a baseline level of function, which might Hmm. be just, I want to walk my dog. And I, Hmm. that's my happy point is being able to walk my dog for several blocks. That's where I'm going to get them to.
0: I I remember having a conversation with a, a fitness professional a few months ago and basically they they were saying or their point of view was that they didn't recommend people to ever go running because running causes too many injuries and they didn't seem to realize. Well, from my my way of thinking, and obviously you'll correct me on this, is that it's not that running is causing the problems. It's more usually the footwear and the way that someone's running.
1: So I try to not make polar statements like that where mm-hmm. – You know, running is very stressful on the body. Running is very stressful on a female body more so than a male body because of our hips and our knees and our Q angle and the way that our structure is a little bit different than a male skeletal structure. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I do see why that person would say that. However, I I don't make X equal Y statements. There Mm -hmm. have been some patients that I've told them, because they have a long list of running related injuries and they keep going from one injury to another injury and they're all running induced that I've Mm -hmm. told them that I really think that you are fighting your structure here and that, you know, you, you might be best finding another sport or activity that, that you have passion around, Mm -hmm. but I, I know that people love it. Runners love to run. And I, mm-hmm. as a physician, have to respect that. So every mm-hmm. every patient that comes in, I see them with a level of appreciation that that feeds their soul in a certain way. And I, it's not my uh, biased opinion to say, you should not be running because I think that running causes too many injuries. Mm-hmm. How can I make this a reality for them? If they keep getting injuries at the 15 mile marker, but they love to run so much, can we together, let's work to maybe run, you know, half of that, you're still running, which feeds your soul, but when you Mm -hmm. push too high, you start getting injured. Where can we find that, that sweet spot that is a reality to what you want and what I believe as your clinician to, Mm -hmm. to make sure you don't get injured again. That's more how I work with my patients versus just saying, you shouldn't run, running is bad, running causes injuries.
0: What, what would you say are the most common repetitive injuries that, that you see and, and how like, that are easily corrected,
1: maybe? So I would say some of the most common injuries in podiatry or as, as a podiatrist with movement would be, of course, plantar fasciitis or heel pain where a lot of heel pain is plantar fasciitis, but not not all of it is. That's probably one of the most common. Uh, stress fractures, neuromas um, are a big one, and the neuroma might surprise people, but neuroma pain does have to do with the timing of stability in the foot mm-hmm. and how footwear can too restrictive a footwear can shift the timing in the foot. And then you start to pinch some of the tissue in the nerves. Um, mm-hmm. And then I would say Achilles tendonitis, and then it goes higher up. IT band issues are often related to the foot and the timing of the foot. And then even uh, low back pain. I deal with a lot of low back tailbone, which is called coccidinia uh, SI joint pain, things like that.
0: And how, easy or difficult is it to correct some of those um, conditions you've just mentioned?
1: So the methodology to correct a lot of those issues is very similar. And I don't mean to keep kind of beating this dead horse, but it really does have to do with timing. Timing and sensory perception and sensory interpretation. Hmm. Let's say that if the individual, we could stay with running, but if the runner doesn't feel the ground fast enough, they're not going to be stabilizing their core, their lower back, their hips, their knees fast enough, which means that they become reactive. And if we think about, let's say the IT band, the IT band, which stabilizes the knee in a single leg stance, that's its job. Stabilize mm-hmm. in a single leg stance that could apply to walking, to running, to many athletic movements, but it's uniquely necessary for running because running is a single leg pattern. You never have a point that you are on both feet at the same time, which means mm-hmm. you have very high rapid IT band engagement or activation, which if you become more reactive because you don't feel the ground, let's say because of your shoes, then it's... You kind of overshoot how you stabilize your IT band and the tissue that that inserts into the IT band, leading to IT band bursitis and IT band syndrome. So it's a timing issue. Um, plantar fasciitis is a vibration based injury, is the way that I I look at it if you are not stabilizing your foot and stiffening, contracting your foot muscles fast enough, then vibration, excess vibration comes into your body. If excess vibration goes into connective tissue, you get an itis, plantar fasciitis, Achilles tendonitis. If excess vibration comes into your bone, you get shin splints, stress fractures. So that means that you have to accelerate the rate at which you are stiffening the foot, contracting the muscles to brace against the vibration that's about to come in so that you don't get those injuries. We actually need to be loading impact forces before our foot even hits the ground. And that's what barefoot movement really is about also is that you become anticipatory in your movements, pre in your movements versus reactive. As soon as you react to a stimulus, you're too slow. And nice. I need people, athletes, runners, patients to be in this anticipatory state because that's ultimately what your nervous system is designed to do because our nervous system is built around survival and survival is built around being efficient. So it's efficient to be preactive and therefore we ultimately need to be preactive to move efficiently, to move longer. and that's that's my, my program or my perspective on movement longevity.
0: I wonder how many of the people that are having injury issues, you know, like people who are maybe going running or doing whatever sports. How many of that stems from the fashion shoes that they wear? Like for men often wear these pointed shoes and women obviously with, with high heels. And I, I would imagine that must cause a lot of damage, like crushing your toes into those pointed
2: shoes.
1: Yeah, so we, there's a lot of focus along athletic shoes. Those were primarily most of the brands that I had mentioned. When mm-hmm. you look at the minimal shoe boom, a majority of those shoes are in or we're in the athletic space, the running shoe space.
2: Mm.
1: What's happening now is exactly what you're saying, is that people are beginning to appreciate or think about the impact of this day-to-day wear of what is happening on our feet. So you've actually seen this large uptick in dress shoes that are more um, natural Mm. foot-friendly. So they might not have... A heel counter. They might be a little bit wider in the toe box, maybe a little bit more flexible materials so that the foot can move in a very natural way, mm-hmm. not have a high heel toe drop and not have a lot of excess cushion, but still have the fashion element of dress shoes and professional shoes and fashion shoes is you have to have a, a certain look and mm-hmm. not saying that all the other minimal shoes that were athletic were not attractive, but, you know, people don't want to wear sneakers all the time. They need other options. Um, so mm-hmm. that's where it's great to see this boom or increase in minimal shoes for fashion, professional, everyday wear.
0: I mean, you mentioned before about the, um yeah, there's the companies like sort of Vivo Barefoot and um, Vibram, v- v- I forget how they pronounce them, who are doing these sort of barefoot type shoes. Why is it that there some of the big players like the Nikes and the Adidas and whatever haven't got into that arena yet? So the shoe,
1: the shoe industry is a $80 billion industry globally, mm. which, I mean, that's obviously a massive industry. And mm. part of that, the part of the $80 billion that is minimal is around $1.5 billion. So it's wow. a small percent of that large pie. Mm-hmm. Nike is one of the major players, global leaders in footwear sales every mm-hmm. year. And they're a business like every other business is they want, you know, profits, margin sales and revenue. And mm-hmm. I believe that what they want, They still have minimal shoes, but they didn't identify themselves. Nike is not a minimal shoe company like, say, Vivo Barefoot.
2: Hmm.
1: Vivo Barefoot's mission is to optimize natural foot function. They do documentaries. They educate the public. They challenge some of these bigger players where Nike is – it's a global leader in athletic footwear is how Hmm. I would think of them. And they don't have just running shoes – or that type of shoe model, they have. You know, they do cleats, they do basketball shoe. They cover a wide range of of footwear and sports. That mm-hmm. that's why I, I just don't think there's enough money in it to do that, mm-hmm. or the money to do the marketing to then get that 1.5 billion to be larger. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that 1.5 billion will ever be larger, but. Mm-hmm. Of those that are in that $1.5 billion pool, that's a large number of individuals who now have an understanding of this optimized movement, and I'm doing what I can through my education and my books and my companies and my practice to get that pool bigger from the impact that I can make.
0: So you mentioned about your book. So who is, who is your book aimed at?
1: It's actually aimed at the consumer, even though I have a lot of professionals that read it. Um, My book is called Barefoot Strong, Unlocking the Anti-Aging Secrets to Movement Longevity. And Mm -hmm. I focus on identifying foot type so that the consumer, the patient, can actually understand their foot type versus saying, oh, I was told by my podiatrist I have flat feet, therefore I have flat feet. I Mm -hmm. actually... Educate them and empower them to actually question, do you actually have flat feet? And Mm -hmm. is the type of flat foot that you have one that has to be in an orthotic? A majority Mm -hmm. of orthotics are highly overprescribed, especially here in the U.S., that Mm -hmm. if I can get the consumer to understand their foot type and their needs a little bit more, that's empowering. Mm
2: -hmm. And then
1: I also go into fascia and connective tissue and how that ages and how we can prevent it from aging to optimize our movement. Same thing with the nervous system and how our peripheral nerves can age. And then, of course, going into programming of how to strengthen our feet and then foot to core.
0: And so is the book – so it's obviously um, educating people, and it's also offering suggestions on the transitioning maybe between um, cushioned shoes to to barefoot shoes and and so on?
1: Yeah, so it gives – Some of the why to that Mm -hmm. Uh, the program is not built in the book, but the, my first step with the book or everything that I do is that the individual has to appreciate why you have to be progressive. That's Mm -hmm. what the book is doing. My goal with everything that I do that I've ever done with my career is to get people to appreciate the complexity and the function of the foot that's step one. If you appreciate it and just say like, whoa, the foot is so fascinatingly complex, like, oh, no wonder it takes four years to become a podiatrist and you're studying nothing but the feet because it's so complicated. That's it. Then my my goal is, d- is done. Once you appreciate how complex the feet are, now let's get into, because if they're complex, the, the importance kind of goes higher up in them, right? This is something that I don't really understand. Okay, hey, Doctor Splickle, or uh, can you help me understand this transition? Now that I appreciate the role of the foot and the complexity of the foot, now I will actually do what you're saying because I have that baseline appreciation. That's doesn't
0: my goal. The, doesn't the foot have something like twenty five percent of the the muscles or the bones? Sorry.
1: Yes, the with, with the bones. Yes, similar similar to the wrist and and the hand. But what's different about the hand, which is also a very fascinating structure, is the hand is all about dexterity. Mm-hmm. right? Doing all these uh, small movements, the ability to button a button is very complex or to sew or thread a needle and or do microsurgery. Things mm-hmm. like that is very fascinating. The mm-hmm. foot is similarly complex, but what's unique about it is the forces and the energy transfer and the body weight that it's under or is exposed to thousands and thousands of times a day. And it's Mm -hmm. actually more of a rigid structure where the hand is more of this mobile dexterous structure. They should Mm -hmm. not be compared to each other because Mm -hmm. their function in movement is completely different. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: What, would you, um, what are your thoughts on the, the sort of 10,000 step movement? Because there's, there's so much talk about that.
1: As far as the recommended steps per day?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, is it – I mean, some people swear by it and say you, you have to be walking minimum of 10,000 every day, and others are saying it should be far more than that, and other people are saying you don't need to be doing any, anything like that. So is it from – I mean, obviously, it's, it's great from a point of view of being anti-sedentary behavior, but I just wonder – is there much evidence that ten thousand steps does do? Um, I mean, how much good does it do? I don't know.
1: So this is where I would go in a different direction, instead, and say instead of focusing on the quantity, mm. can we focus on the quality of each of those steps? Mm. Now, when we look at the you know evolution of homo sapiens and our brain and the neocortex and just kind of optimization of who we are. It was really built around movement. So Mm -hmm. staying moving is very important when you move, meaning walk, because that's majority of the movement that we would be doing when you walk, especially at a certain pace, that's what's important is we have to walk at a certain pace. So Mm -hmm. I would rather you walk less steps, but faster in Mm -hmm. those last steps, because the faster you walk, you get into this momentous state, this fascial state that drives cerebral or brain blood circulation or volume, Mm -hmm. which is neuroprotective to the brain. It increases brain growth factors. So all of this anti-aging, dementia, Alzheimer's, neurological conditions, things like that, is really built around keeping these individuals moving because of the blood that goes to the brain. Mm-hmm. That happens at a certain walking pace. Mm-hmm. You have to get that heart rate up, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Now, from a fascial perspective, what's interesting about walking when you walk at a certain pace is that let's imagine you're taking a long stride with your right leg taking a step. The optimal pattern is that your left arm is going to come forward. So if you could visualize, for those that are listening, if you actually want to kind of go through this with me, is imagine that your left arm is coming forward. So you can feel or see that your pelvis is going to one direction with the front leg that stepped forward, and then your rib cage and your torso are going in the opposite direction with the arm that's crossing, that reciprocal pattern but I want you to think of that almost like kind of like wringing a rag out that you are wringing the rag and then you release the rag with every step that you take. That is a very tissue hydrating, meaning fascia, tendons, ligaments, it's, it's uh connective tissue or collagen hydrating to do that. It mm-hmm your rib cage and your pelvis open which is necessary for breathing and for to keep that stride length you have to have an open rib cage and pelvis so walking is very therapeutic again Mm -hmm. I don't get caught up in the number of steps but it's more are you taking long strides do you have the reciprocal pattern are you do you have that optimal breathing are we driving cerebral blood flow Um, more much more like that is what I do advise uh, my patients to do. And I will tell them, you know, because I lived in New York City for 20 years and that's where a majority of my practice was based. So it's very unique stressors to the body in New York City versus many other cities. Of course, London would be very similar and Hong Kong and, and other major cities that are walking based, is that in those cities, you see you see people hitting this more optimal stride length and pace because it's a walking-based city. Um, In other ones where now I'm in Arizona, where it's, we'll call it more car dependent, a lot of people walk very stochotic, which means narrower steps. I'm not getting the reciprocal arm swing. So the way I walk around my home or the office or to my car or the shopping, not the shopping mall, but the grocery store, is very different than walking down New York City sidewalks, trying to get to work on time, you are you know what I mean? So that's, that's very important to make sure you are walking in a optimal stride, in an optimal pace every single day or at least several times a week if you can to feed your fascia and feed your nervous system.
0: So someone's walking for whatever number of steps it is, but they're doing that while they've got their hands in their pockets. They're really negating the benefits.
1: Yep. The other one is when people, again, back to New York city, when people carry a, uh, one-sided purse or, a. uh, satchel or something like that, where it's sitting on one side. And if you imagine that, let's say I have a bag on my left shoulder and I'm holding the strap of that bag so it doesn't fall off. And then I'm swinging just my right arm. So I have this asymmetrical arm swing, which is ultimately going to affect my stride length and the rotation of my pelvis and my rib cage leads to many problems, which is part of why people say, wear a backpack, wear a backpack. So you don't have that asymmetrical stress or walking with, like you said, one hand in a pocket, both hands in the pocket, Um, strollers. So the jogging strollers just don't make sense to me because you're trying to run with your hands on something, which is very uh, counterintuitive to how the body actually creates energy when it runs. You have to have an arm swing to get. T spine or thoracic rotation when you run, and you can't do that if you're pushing a stroller. So those those mm. are things that some of the listeners can start to think about that maybe that's influencing the quality of their walking.
0: Mm. And you mentioned pace. I mean, what how would what kind of pace would be um, suggested?
1: Everybody has their own pace. And what's interesting is that you will know when you are at your pace um, for anyone who maybe some of the listeners are in a walking based city
2: mm-hmm.
1: where um, I, I always give kind of the story of walking in New York city and I walk very fast. Um, so I will constantly be passing people on the sidewalk in New York, but walking very quickly. And then you will feel You will feel the period that you get into momentum and it becomes almost effortless in a sense of you walking where I'm walking really quickly and then someone tries to cut me off and I'm so much in my momentous state that I can't stop. I would literally barrel into them because I'm kind of riding my momentum or I'm riding my fascia in a sense. Mm. You will feel when that happens. Now, what's interesting as far as everybody's walking pace is that if you walk slower than your pace, you will also feel it in the sense because you are exerting more energy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So when I walk with my husband who walks slower than me, I have to slow my pace to a pace that is more work for me. It's harder for me to walk slower while mm-hmm. he's at his pace fascial efficient pace, but I'm not. And I can feel it because I'm just like, it's kind of fighting my body to walk faster. And that's why I can't say it's, you know, this many steps per minute or something like that, because everyone has their own momentous state or their optimal pace. And you will feel it because it's when you switch to become more fascially based and more momentous based.
0: So when you were describing that, one thing that went through my mind was people who do power walking. Mm -hmm. How beneficial or how does that come into this whole equation?
1: Yeah, so the pattern in speed walking, I actually have not treated speed walkers. I have a good friend who is a speed walker and actually uh, designed a shoe for speed walkers specifically. Mm -hmm. They have a very specific pattern of how they push through each phase And Mm -hmm. if anyone has ever seen a speed walker, they, they're almost walking more like stiff legged and Mm -hmm. the arm swing is very specific versus the Mm -hmm. arms down. They have them bent and they walk kind of in a more upright torso rotation perspective. So it's a different Mm -hmm. strategy. Um, Mm -hmm. Similarly, that allows them to harness the fascial energy of every step. So that's Mm -hmm. what it is. But every every sport or movement or strategy has that slight modification for you to optimize through fascia. And that's mm-hmm. what our goal should be, is we want to move fascially, not muscularly. As soon as we move muscularly, we are increasing our work, which is effort, which is energy. We're not efficient. We can get fatigued. And that's where we get our itises. Mm-hmm. Uh-
0: Earlier on, probably about 20 minutes ago or so, you were mentioning about one of the ways of helping with the transition to uh, barefoot type shoes is using um, uh, like things like lacrosse balls and golf balls and so on. Would someone be able to do that, say, while they were sat down watching TV and just running their foot over that, or do they need their full body weight on it?
1: You can, uh, depending on your tolerance to it. You do get a little bit better release when you have your body weight on the golf ball, the lacrosse ball or whatever tool that you're using because our our body weight, obviously we can control how much pressure we're putting down on that. So Mm I do, I do ideally recommend a standing release. uh, Mm -hmm. What's also great about doing a standing release is you always get gravity involved, which is a great sensory stimulus to your nervous system but if someone is, is more sensitive and they want to start sitting and rolling the foot on the ball, great. Mm. If that's how they will start, then that's how I would want them to start.
0: I suppose they could still watch TV and but be stood, stood up and put in their body weight on the, if that's what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. I, w- the thing that I do, which is what I like what you're saying, is that you're trying to do it at the same time as doing something else because that's where you start to get these lifestyle habits or rituals, call them what you want, but you need to have the consistency. And I look at foot release, a five minute foot release as a lifestyle, which Mm -hmm. means I will tell people to do it when they're brushing their teeth. When you brush your Mm -hmm. teeth, release your feet, because the brushing the teeth is a habit. It's a, a wellness habit that I believe everybody has adopted and they understand the importance of it. You're going to do it every day, twice a day. So Mm. why don't you at the same time release your feet? And now you're getting two great wellness habits at the same time.
0: Yeah. You could almost do your your right foot when you're doing your top teeth and your left foot when you're doing (laughs) your bottom (laughs) teeth.
2: Exactly. (laughs) I'm
0: going to talk more about the the courses that you offer. Um, So, for, you talked about the, the course for the public so but for the fitness professionals that are looking to extend their their skill set and so on so what, what is it that they that you help them with
1: yeah so through EBFA Global uh, which is also the domain so ebfaglobal.com, we have all of our live and online courses obviously this year majority of our courses switch to online. But the courses that we offer, we have several certifications. So we have a barefoot training specialist certification, a barefoot rehab specialist, which is more for the physical therapist and the medical professional. We have a barefoot workout for those that incorporate group exercise, or they just want a myriad of barefoot based exercises. And then Mm -hmm. we have several that kind of shoot off of that Uh, area that I'm big on is biopsychosocial, interoception, stress, mind-body connections. So we have an interoceptive performance specialist, which just talks about your internal sensory perception Mm -hmm. and then pelvic balance and and a bunch of other smaller ones that all of those link off of that ebfaglobal.com. And then we do travel around the world and teach those in person. I have... Mm -hmm. Uh, eight master instructors that are around the world and they help teach
0: those courses as well. So if people want to find out more about all the various courses that you offer. Where, where would they go?
1: So you could go to ebfaglobal.com and then that will link to it's actually sitting on our teachable platform, which mm-hmm. is ebfaglobal.teachable.com. And then it also links to our YouTube which is a great place to start listening to the videos. I have a bunch of exercises on there. Um, How to do short foot, which I had mentioned. How to activate the pelvic floor. How to sequence foot to core. And then I've done over 100 free webinars that are archived on our YouTube channel. And that would link off of that ebfaglobal.com or if you go to youtube.com backslash EBFA fitness would be the domain.
0: Uh, have you, is there a book that you've often recommended or a book that really inspires you?
1: One of my favorite books that changed the way that I looked at... Movement Sensory Brain is called Smart Moves by Carla Hannaford. And it's really built around initially children. So why we need movement in school was really what Carla Hannaford has built her career around is children need to move to provide sensory, to optimize brain, to optimize learning and emotional regulation. But I believe that everybody can apply what is taught in the book to themselves, to their children, to uh, loved ones or clients, patients that are at the other end of the spectrum, so kind of the boomer side. It gives a really good foundation on brain development, how the brain responds to sensory stimulation, and then really the other part that I was speaking about, about my body, is the impact of Emotional stress on our ability to learn or to move well. So just kind of this this interconnected relationship between intelligence, emotion, and movement. Fascinating book.
0: Okay, well I'll put that in the details of that in the show notes. And and finally, um, Emily, is there a quotation that you particularly like?
1: I do. Yes. So my quote that really speaks to me. Is it's a Mark Twain quote and it says the two most important days in your life are the day that you are born and the day that you find out why.
0: <laughs> yeah, I like that. That's very good. Yeah.
1: My, my goal is that that people find what their purpose is and if you find your purpose which is your passion mm-hmm. then you're
0: really not working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's superb. Well, it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure um, speaking to you for the last what fifty-five minutes and thank you for sharing for well, so much great information and, and educating people and in a lot of areas where we hear so much misinformation and and a lot of people just end up really confused and not knowing what to believe.
1: Yeah, no, it was it was a pleasure and I really appreciate the invitation and I hope all the listeners enjoyed.
0: Okay, thank you. <laughs> Next week's episode is with Kim Hamer. She has a business called Building Brand New and she helps businesses, thought leaders, consultants, coaches get more opportunities, more clients, and more revenue. And in next week's episode, we're talking about marketing, branding, psychology, reading, meditating, many, many different areas. So it's quite an interesting episode. She originally is from Australia. She's been living in the UK now for 17 years. We talk about that transition, how easy or difficult that was. And so we hear a lot more from Kim in next week's episode. If you enjoyed this week's episode with uh, Emily Splitchel, please do share it with anyone who you feel would get some real benefit from some of the information that Emily shared with us, especially any people you know who maybe go running quite often or do a long walk every day, for example. They could get some real benefit from some of the information that Emily shared about footwear and pace and, and so on hope you uh if you like this episode or if you like this podcast why not uh, subscribe to us so you can get it on a regular basis please do leave a review for us that lets us know what you think about the show it lets potential listeners know whether it is worth their while listening to as well hope you have a great week see you next week